Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, September 7th. We begin with a conversation with Alberta's leader of the opposition, Rachel Notley. We asked Ms. Notley for her reaction to Premier Jason Kenney's announcement Friday of new COVID-19 restrictions now in place for the province, including indoor mask mandates and the $100 incentive now being offered up to unvaccinated Albertans to get the jab. Next, it's our weekly discussion with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. With less than two weeks until the federal election, we get the latest from Mercedes on the campaign strategies of the three major political parties, including the mudslinging that's starting to creep in as we move closer to September 20th. After a staggered start last week, all Calgary kids will be hitting the books this week with school back in session. Our own Dave McIver looks at the concerns held by many parents who are sending their kids back to class amidst this fourth wave of the pandemic. And finally, after missing last year, the Calgary Expo is back. We had the chance to meet one of the big names appearing at this year's edition, James Marsters, who played Spike on the cult favorite Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series. Well, Premier Jason Kenney did his first in-person availability after weeks of silence, and his main topic of conversation was asking Albertans to get vaccinated. Kenney even offered an incentive to Albertans to get the shot. If you just haven't gotten around to it, for the love of God, please get vaccinated now. And if you do, we will now pay you $100. Today, we are announcing that Alberta will be the first province to offer a uh, personal monetary incentive to step up and do the right thing. New restrictions also put in place, including a masking mandate for all indoor public spaces and a liquor curfew for all stores, bars and restaurants as of 10 p.m. With her reaction to the Premier's first public address in weeks and her stance on mandatory vaccine passports, we're joined now by official opposition leader for the NDP, Rachel Notley. Good morning to you, Ms. Notley. Good morning. So uh, you, as other Albertans, heard the Premier's words on Friday. What was your biggest takeaway? Well, I mean, I think like many Albertans, I was very, very frustrated. It was, of course, uh, too little, far, far, far too late. Uh, if the Premier couldn't make it back uh, from his holidays to deal with the spiraling cases, or sorry, the skyrocketing cases, then he should have um, assigned somebody to do it in his absence. Um, but now that we finally have him uh, speaking to the issue, the problem is he's not doing enough. He's trying to look like he's doing something, but, uh, but he's not doing what's necessary to actually uh, control the infections and give that opportunity to those 70% of Albertans who are fully vaccinated to get their life back to normal. And to also, quite frankly, help the many businesses that have been kind of on the mat for the last 18 months also get back to normal. And instead, he's created a situation where he's pandering to to the 20 percent and he's uh, making uh, those businesses that desperately needed uh, to be able to get back to normal pay the price yet again. Ms. Notley, we have some textures who say, you know, all you do is criticize the UCP (laughs) government and Jason Kenney. So we have a texture who has asked... For us mm-hmm. to ask you, what would you have done differently and what would you do right now if you were in power to help and change this? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I wish there was more positive things for me to be able to talk about. But what we would have done differently and what we were calling for last week was um, a, a mandatory vaccine passport that would involve 
QR code that would be simple and secure and scannable. It would be free for, for business owners and, and free for, for Albertans. It would only provide a yes, no as to whether or not you've been vaccinated. It wouldn't include all the information around people's vaccines. And, uh, and it would be consistent across the board. And it would also be mandatory in non-essential business settings and, and other settings like, you know, public school or, you know, um, post-secondary and things like that. And it would allow um, for uh, those businesses, for instance, to not have a, a 10 o'clock liquor curfew and to not have to try and serve food in a restaurant with people worried about wearing masks and to give people the confidence to go back into those restaurants because that's the other thing is people weren't necessarily going back because they were still worried. And we've seen these kinds of vaccine um, uh, passports significantly raise the the vaccination uptake amongst those who are not opposed to vaccinations but just haven't gotten around to it. And and on the flip side, what we've just seen today is a study showing that the previous incentive models like uh, giving money or the, the lotteries had no effect on vaccine uptake. So you know, we know there's a strategy out there that works and, and Jason Kenney has got to show the leadership to get his caucus to agree to do the right thing. You say that, you know, people want those passports, they want their freedom, and we've seen this in other provinces and jurisdictions with a vaccine passport of, of sorts. That That's great on paper, but as far as uh, today is concerned, mm-hmm. the vaccine uh, passport would take some time to get out. Do you, in your opinion, think we have enough restrictions in place to curb and bring down some of these low ICU numbers? Or what would you have liked to see restriction-wise? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, the, the mandatory mask uh, obviously is a good start. Uh, what I say all the time is that we need to see the modeling, and the modeling that we've gotten so far is, of course, uh, uh, somewhat flawed. So, um, you know, we I'd say as a start, the first place what I would have wanted to have seen was a much more consistent set of measures in our schools. Uh, we've been calling for a consistent uh, set of rules across the board in our schools, uh, mandatory uh, masks wearing in the schools, um, along with uh, additional supports in our schools to help them stay safe. Stay safe, Because I think kids going back to school is going to contribute to an even further jump in, in, uh, in, in um, uh, cases amongst the uh, unvaccinated because, of course, that's where our kids are and they are the unvaccinated. So uh, we were very disappointed to see uh, a complete unwillingness to play a leadership role um, across the province so that we don't have the patchwork that we do uh, amongst our most vulnerable citizens who, you know, we're all pretty fond of. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for your reaction. We appreciate it this morning. Okay, you take care. Thank you, you too. That is Rachel Notley, the leader of the official opposition, the leader of the NDP party. Well, turmoil continues in Afghanistan, and uh, will it be Canada helping out? Uh, also, anger on the campaign trail. Some of the big issues tackled on the West Block this weekend, and we are joined this morning with the host and Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief, Mercedes Stevenson. Good morning, Mercedes. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. A pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us as always. Uh, Lots going on on the show this weekend for sure. And uh, I know you talked a lot about the debates this past weekend and how they can actually make or break someone's campaign. So the big question is, can voters actually be swayed by them? What was your consensus from the people that you were talking to, your guests on the show this weekend? Well, people on the show were basically saying, uh, look, debates are important. They're sort of important when things go horribly wrong. Uh, it's hard to get sort of the uh, moment of great victory in a debate. And 
therefore everyone's strategy is essentially to try to just get through it. Um, and I will preface this as saying I have to be careful what I talk about when it comes to the debates uh, because I'm actually one of the moderators. Ooh. And so obviously going into it, uh, we want to leave expectations up to people. But speaking more broadly as a political correspondent, um, I can tell you that if, if there is a a significant mistake in a debate or someone doesn't seem to be with it, they don't seem to be able to answer the questions, that can really raise doubts in people's minds about whether or not that person is ready um, for that position. That said, it's rare that you see um, such a drastic mistake that that alone is what affects people in the polls. But it really can sort of give people a first chance to see how someone who is is the prime minister responds, how someone who wants to be the prime minister responds. Does that look like the kind of person that they want to put into office? So it's important in helping people get to know sort of how people perform under pressure Mm. and how they perform when they're being challenged by peers. And so that's sort of two of the interesting things we'll be looking for. Um, In recent debates, it doesn't stand out to me as being huge moments of make or break other than Andrew Scheer in one of the French debates where his French was just so kind of not great that (laughs) when people were watching, they went, ooh, I don't think that bilingualism is strong enough uh, for him to get the votes in Quebec. And a lot of folks think that that performance in the French debate affected him in Quebec, not necessarily as much in English Canada, but then the questions about competency and performance start to seep into the more general sort of stories that are being told and um, questions in the media that are out there. So it is no doubt super duper important. I think a lot of the campaigns will be going in wanting their candidate to look prime ministerial. Mm -hmm. uh, But at the end of the day, their challenge will be, you know, get through it in a way that you look competent, confident, don't say anything stupid, and have answers to questions. (laughs) Those are sort of the biggest things that they're going for versus them um, trying to manage um, a knockout uh, of some sort of an opponent. I like that uh, description. So kind of not great when it came to Andrew Shear's <laughs> French. She can really and walk the line. And don't say like anything that. stupid. Um, <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> Mercedes, let's talk about we, less than two weeks away. Obviously, we can maybe perhaps see some mudslinging or some negative campaign attack ads. And you had the chance to, to dig into this with our own uh, Calgary Mayor, Mayor Nahed Nenshi and former Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall to talk about you know, some of the negativity and, and how it's dealt with on the campaign trail, which we could see heating up over the next uh, 19 or so days. Yeah, well, and we saw what happened last night, yes. um, which is actually really, really serious. So um, for any of your listeners who aren't familiar, um, the Liberal leader Justin Trudeau was at a campaign stop. Um, you've seen the crowds that are starting to surround the buses, um, and you've seen um, the fact that they're they're chanting slogans, they're giving the finger, uh, there's been tight police protection. Well, last night somebody picked up gravel um, and whipped it at um, Justin Trudeau. He won't really say whether or not it hit him, and there's people who say, does that matter? Well, yeah, it does matter because salt if it hit him. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see that it uh, appears like it may have struck part of the RCMP detail, and I can tell you it did strike two of the journalists who were there. Um, and that is obviously a big red flag. I mean, these protests were aggressive. Um, they were nasty. They were negative. That's not great. Um, when you start crossing the line mm-hmm. into physical violence, that becomes a very serious issue. It doesn't matter if it's a handful of gravel. It's physical contact. Uh, being attempted. That starts to set a very dangerous precedent. No matter what people think of a a political leader, how much you can't stand them, you think their views are out of whack with your own, 
it does not justify trying to do physical harm to somebody or trying to reach out and touch them. Um, and I can tell you it's, it's very concerning for people on the campaign. It's very concerning for the journalists on the campaign. They're now, by the way, in situations where the crowds have become um, so disruptive that when one reporter is trying to do their on-camera, another reporter basically has to be like the bodyguard and keep people away. Um, this is this is not something that typically happens on a campaign. Um, and so obviously that's raising a lot of questions today about concerns around um, security, concerns around the campaigns, concerns around this time. It was, you know, gravel, small rocks. Um, what is but, it next time? Yeah, is there, does someone else take it into their head to do something else next time? And obviously uh, that's really, really concerning given the size of these crowds, too, in some cases, and the fact that they basically are swarming the buses. They're surrounding them. Um, And so it's raising a lot of concerns about safety and security. And frankly, it should be embarrassing to all of us. And if you know anybody who's behaving in that way, we should all be stepping up and saying, this is not what our country does. This is not how people behave. As you said, who cares if you like this person or not? Don't vote for them. But it's just, exactly. it, it goes beyond what we should be tolerating here in this country. Um, let's ask you before we let you go, you're a moderator then at the debate. So what does that look like? How is the setup and, and what will your role be, Mercedes? I can't tell you, oh, you can't. almost okay. any of those things. Okay, okay. <laughs> because it's top secret or they just haven't told you? There, and there's going to be lots of questions for them. Uh, we can't give interviews about the debates or talk about them really in advance. Uh, there is official mechanism. I can tell you it's going to be Thursday night and you should tune in. <laughs> okay, <laughs> deal. <laughs> and find out more about what exactly it's going to be. We're going to, we're going to talk about some of the really big issues uh, facing Canadians and ask tough questions about them uh, of all the leaders heading into this election and that's uh, that's really about all I can say about it. It's top secret boy. What, what do you think in, and we've got like about a minute left but what are we going to th- see from the three majors to try to move that needle do you think maybe not particularly during the, ba- the debate because you can't talk about that but over the next uh, <laughs> you know uh, less than two weeks now uh, from Justin Trudeau, uh, Aaron O'Toole and Jagmeet Singh what, what are each of them going to be doing? So they each have to, number one, try to solidify any voters who are swing voters that might be thinking about swinging to them. It's in particular NDP liberal voters or liberal conservative voters uh, who cross those lines. So they're going to be pushing hard. It's going to be nasty. Um, you're going to start to see campaigns getting very negative. Um, you've already started to see that in particular uh, with the, the way the liberals have been approaching things, the sunny ways of 2015 are long gone. Um, it's become very negative, um, which can be very effective, which is why they're doing that. Um, you're going to see as well them starting to focus in on the get out the vote. Um, that's critical because in an election that is very close, it's not just how many people support you, it's how many people actually show up at the polls and vote for you. So literally every vote always counts but like it really really counts when you're talking about one or two percent margins for victory so they're going to be trying to uh, get those those voters who are still undecided not sure or might swing to make a choice and they're going to focus on trying to deliver them to the polls on september 20th to make sure they cast their vote well we'll be watching for you as the moderator at the english debate thursday night and everybody should be watching it and paying attention thanks so much for joining us always love chatting with you Thanks, guys. Thank you. That is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block.
school is back and it's another year with COVID-19 in the classroom as along with our kids. Sports guy and roving reporter Dave McIver, he set out to find out what parents are concerned about heading into the school year. Dave? School is back and like last year, parents and students will have to deal with COVID in school again. So what are some of the concerns that parents are having after having dealt with this last year? I spoke with Brandy Rye, the president of the Alberta School Council Association. So we are an organization that's been around for 90 years and we started um, as parents who wanted to help our children in education and work in partnership with teachers. And so currently we um, provide professional development and learning opportunities and engagement opportunities for school councils across the province because school councils are our members. And then additionally, um, our members actually vote on advocacy policies that then become the policies we advocate to other education partners and the ministry. Awesome. So I imagine you have quite a bit of communication with uh, with parents of, uh, of kids who are in school. Yes, we hear from parents all across the province. So what is the Alberta School Council Association hearing from parents from across the province? We're hearing loudly from those parents who are deeply concerned. Uh, for those parents who are worried about, you know, their children who can't be vaccinated and not having masking protocols. We're hearing it from lots of families who... Um, do not understand why there will not be contact tracing or notification of positive cases at their kids' schools because we get letters home that tell us when, you know, their classmates have life, but a deadly virus, we do not have access to that information to know if our children are being exposed in the institutions that we're sending them to. And so there's some real concern around, you know, contact tracing, notification, the continuation of testing and positive isolation past the end of September, um, because that's only a few weeks into the school year. And so there's concerns around that. There's also concerns from from some families who have reached out who have said, you know, we're not that worried about COVID. And so we're really worried about the, the ramifications on our children's mental health uh, around, you know, the, the constant presence of people talking about COVID or being worried about COVID and, you know, the masking and how that can affect their social interactions. And so we do have some diversity in the voices that we're hearing. In my conversation with Brandy, we talked about quarantines and the concerns around those as well. Yes, and so there is some concern around that because the continuity of learning is extremely important for children. Additionally, um, the mental health that, that children have whenever it's like the, the COVID coaster, right? Of, and I've heard that a parent say that, you know, the COVID coaster of we're in class, now we're not in class, you know, and, and also the fear that comes with that, oh, we've, you know, we've been exposed and like what happens next and is that cough COVID? And so there's, there's a lot of concern around, um, you know, our children being exposed and then if the quarantine is going to impact their, their school year. Um, but what we're also hearing from parents is they would like to have the ability to make an informed choice. And so if their child has been exposed at school, they would like to know that to decide if they want to keep their child home for a while and, and monitor closely for symptoms. And they don't have access to that information right now, which for leadership that consistently says that parents are the voice that they love to listen to in education and that parents are the people who have the authority to make decisions for their children um, and their health and the best interests of their children, they're not letting us have access to that information and that 
that's not sitting well with many parents across the province. One thing Brandy does know as a mother of five, that it is a balancing act for all families across the province. We have five children. We have children in elementary, middle years, and high school. And so we can see the impact. You know, our oldest child has never had high school in person because COVID happened. Um, and so he's been learning from home online. So we we live that life of, of really leaning into caution because I'm immunocompromised and so is one of our children who's too young to be vaccinated. And so we've had to really evaluate what our risk is and, and how we keep our family safe. That being said, my husband's also a teacher. And so so education is in every aspect of our family life. And so we, we understand the importance of in-person learning. We understand the importance of connection. Um, but we also deeply understand and aware of the risks associated with, you know, COVID and potentially long COVID. And we do not know how COVID yet affects children who are developing and what, what the impact of them contracting COVID would be 20 years from the 20 years from now. And so for our family, we have had to make some choices where our children are currently learning online and we'll return to in-person later in the year. And my husband teaches in person. And so we, we support all of the families across the province because our family is not unique. And we've done the dance of how do we balance what we know is best for them with also what we know is safe for them. For Global News Radio 770 CHQR, I'm Dave McIver. I think that, you know what, uh, some some great points there. There has to be trepidation. But as a parent, I think it's super important to keep on top of your kids because my kids, they're outstanding at wearing masks. It's almost like with recycling, for example, the kids are leading the way, right? So they're very much on masks. But having said all that, they are over the moon excited to be back in class. I would agree. And to move class. So you have to you know, underscore these messages because all they want is normalcy and uh, back to regular. Yeah, and I, my both my kids are very happy to be going yeah. back to school as well. They are not happy. They have to wear the mask on the bus and they're not happy with our schools anyway. They have to wear a mask into the school. Now, I'm not sure. Obviously, things will sort of ramp up today. So we'll find out whether they're being required to wear them while they're sitting at their desks. I hope not. Um, but they do have to wear them into the school. And then 789 are sort of separate from 10, 11, 12. They are not allowed to co-mingle. They, even, they can't even go outside all at the same time. So lots of rules in place and lots of things that are being left up to the schools and the school boards. Um, we do know that masks are, um, masks are not required at the schools unless they deem them necessary, right? This is the information from the province. Each board has their own right Right. to make these rules. And then school boards can continue to set COVID-19 management policies as they deem appropriate. So they're kind of on their own there to make their own decisions. And I know that's got a lot of people upset and and concerned and, and just, I think people are stressed out about it again, putting the kids in school with COVID. We thought we'd be through it. Well, by this point, you would think so. But it's interesting because it is on the onus of the individual school boards. And, you know, the biggest one in the province is the CBE who had the mask mandates. And they said before the Friday announcement, one of the standouts was the Rocky View School Division, which is around the city of Calgary. Um, There's a, you know, you've got Airdrie and Cochrane and, and Chestermere, for example. They had said no masks. Then this came down, and uh, it's on them. They decided over the weekend, masks will be mandatory within the Rocky View School Division. 
I believe for most boards, the date that you needed to make a decision whether you're going to send your child to school or yes. homeschool them um, has passed. The 2nd of September, I believe. So I'm curious, you know, are there people out there who've decided to keep the kids home yet again this year and, and maybe teach them from home and follow the curricula online instead of sending them into the classroom? Or what the situation is? Are, are you even concerned about kids in class? Are, are you okay with it? Ours are old enough. They got vaccinated. What about the younger ones? Text lines open 403-974-8255. Very excited that Calgary Comic Expo is back this year. And we're joined now by actor James Marsters from Marvel's Runaways and, of course, the cult classic Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Very exciting to have him with us. Good morning to you, James. Hey, hello, Andy. Good to see you. Good. They, they, <laughs> Here you well, you know, we're just glad to have you on and uh, glad you're coming to visit our fine city. It does kick off on Friday. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, we can talk about all that you've been up to, but I want to go back in time because Buffy the Vampire Slayer, what's interesting to me about this is it's been off like new episodes for like basically 20 years. <laughs> My 16-year-old daughter, Sydney, said, you're talking to James Marsters? She really lost it. Are you surprised the longevity of this series and now that it's streaming and you have a whole new legion of fans? No, actually. I'm the one cast member that's not surprised. <laughs> I, uh, I uh, was um, a Star Trek fan when I was younger, and I kind of recognized that, that Buffy might have all the ingredients necessary to, uh, to hold an audience's attention uh, over and over again. And I kept telling uh, the cast members it would be like three o'clock in the morning. I'd be like, guys, we might be talking about this scene for the rest of our lives. We got to, we got to bring it right now. And they'd say, Oh, we're tired. And I would go get them a cup of coffee. Uh, but I always said, if we get, if we're going to do the new Star Trek, I get to be Spock. I claim <laughs> Spock, Spock, Spike, Spike, Spock, damn the same thing. I love it. That's awesome. So is that the thing that people most want to talk to you about when you appear at places like the Calgary Expo? Is is it about Buffy or is it about many of your your so many other roles that you've done? Yeah, you know, uh, it's primarily Buffy, but also Dragon Ball, Super, uh, Torchwood, Smallville. Uh, The Harry Dresden Files gets a lot of fans. There are a series of audiobooks that I do. Um, And so, yeah, I I have to have a lot of pictures on my table. It's just stuff with, with pictures because I've been very lucky to play a lot of different different roles that people want to talk about. You have a career that you love. You have a successful career. So I'm wondering, you mentioned that you were a Star Trek fan from years back. Does it uh, you know tickle your fancy to be part of an expo just like you know <laughs> your, your former Star Trek idols are part of? Yeah. I used to come, when I was a teenager, I used to come to, to, uh, to conventions dressed as Spock. Uh, and so I know well what it's like to, uh, to hang out with fellow fans. It was my favorite place in the world. Uh, and so I really kind of feel like I'm hanging out with my people when I go to a convention. Uh, everyone's beautiful. Everyone's safe. And you can be whatever you want to be. And if heaven ain't like that, I don't know. It is pretty cool that you can be whatever you want to be. That is really the big draw for so many, isn't it? And I know that you're at the con this weekend. Obviously, it's running uh, Calgary Expo September 10th through the 12th. And you're performing a special concert event Friday night. So tell us about that. Yeah, um, I've been performing with a band uh, since 2001. I'm just solo up in Calgary, uh, but I've been doing that for a long time as well. So I do an hour to an hour and a half of original songs. They're rock and blues and folk. And it's just a nice way for people to get to know me. Uh, You know, Buffy is amazing, but that was written by other people. And uh, so people get to listen to stuff that I've written about myself. (laughs) Uh, And so they get to know me a little bit better. Different side of James Marsters. You can check it out this weekend. Thank you so much for your time, sir, and uh, hope you enjoy our city. 
Yeah, man. Have a great day, guys. You too. That's James Marsters. And, of course, if you want to check out everything the Expo has to offer, it's fanexpohq.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.